to be here. It's good to be in the room. It's good to be in your rooms. And uh, you are very, very welcome. Do you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to do something. I'm just going to step out. We've been singing about the majesty of God. I talked with Richard earlier. It's uh, year anniversary today when Richard uh, had a stroke. But God kept him. And uh, Alan over here, dear friend, um, has in this year just shared just before the service that he's had bowel cancer. But God kept him because he's sovereign, because he is the majesty. And he's sovereign over death and he's sovereign over sickness and illness. So why don't we just pray for healing this morning? Okay, so if you're... If there's something ailment and you're able to put your hand on the part of your body where it is, why don't you do that at home? Why don't you do the same? We're just going to ask the Lord to come and heal. This isn't, this isn't anything we do. It's not, you know, some uh, fancy TV thing. It's calling on the power of God who is alive and well to come and touch our bodies. So, Father, I just pray for those of us in this room, Father, I speak healing. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And Lord, we pray for friends at home. Lord, I just ask that you would move by your spirit and heal God. And I pray, Lord, even that we would hear testimony that you have done something. So I really want to encourage you. If God touches you, does something in your life, even now you might want to stretch a muscle, you know, shake something off, do something. But I encourage you, come back and tell us and share what God has done. We're going to keep praying. I do believe the more we pray for healing, the more healings we're going to see. Okay? So let's just keep stepping out into that. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, so we are looking this morning. This is a one-off sermon, and uh, I'd like to speak on success guaranteed. Success guaranteed. Now, when I flagged this with the team, someone on the team did come back and say, it sounds a bit like prosperity gospel, okay, which is a kind of theology that, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, okay? Well... It ain't that, but I do believe we have a gospel to prosper us. It just depends what you mean by that, to succeed. So let me ask the question, thanks Oscar, what is success in life? It's such, such an important question, because presumably we're all after something that looks like, whether, it's, whether we call it success or health or maybe prospering or, you know, just good things, a good life, we're all after something like this. So it's an important question. At the end of the film, Saving Private Ryan, we've got the clip here. The guy there on the right is Private Ryan based on a true story. Tom Hanks and all the crew have gone in and they've kind of given their lives for him to live. And he says at the end of the film to his wife, because of the sacrifice of these others, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I've been a good man. Well, we've had one who has sacrificed for us. 
And I think it's so important that we seek to live a good life for him in the light of what he's done for us. So what then is success? What is this good life? What's a healthy life? Such an important question. Now, there's obvious measures. Now, I know that any of us in this room and those of you watching, we wouldn't get sucked into these, would we? Obvious measures of success, the career, the status that gives us identity. You know, it's that question we ask when we meet someone. So what do you do? And some of us, you know, kind of put our shoulders back and we go, well, I do this. Yeah. I know people that, you know, have had jobs where they've been embarrassed to say what they do. So is it career that's the measure? Is it the material, the swag? Is it the size of our house, the size of our car, the size of our TV screen, the size of our bank balance? Is that what measures success? Like I say, this isn't touching any of us here at Beck. I realize that. We're above all this. I get that. But I'm, this is for the benefit of anyone might be watching, just in case. That was irony, by the way. What about image? Is it image? You can probably tell. I've been working out. No, I haven't at all, actually. <laughs> but some of us, it's the image. It's a tight T-shirt. It's the looks. Looking pretty good today. Feeling good. Is that success that the world is attracted to us? What about this one? Is it family? Is it family? Is that what's at the center? Is, is that success? We want the best for our children, the very best. Hey, again, I know I'm not talking to anyone in, in my church, but there are some competitive parents out there that want the best for their children. They want to make sure their child gets into that school and that university. You know, opportunities for our children. I remember, I remember being at an event with my granddad and being embarrassed because there was this lad. We were, I was, must have been 18, 19 or something. And there was this lad went to Cambridge University, and my granddad thought he'd brag on me. And he said, oh, Paul goes to Swansea University. Well, Swansea doesn't compare with Cambridge, unfortunately. And we kind of just want to elevate our children. We want the best for them, and it's understandable, isn't it? Now, like I say, maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, that's all a bit crass. I wouldn't chase after that. Not me. Well, there are less obvious definitions of success. Less obvious, underlying drives there might be. Are we orienting our life around, for example, pleasing or impressing others? Pleasing someone. And let me tell you, it may be someone from your dim and distant past that you are still living to please. I was talking with someone yesterday and they, they said they knew someone that was still trying to impress their parents 40, 50 years later, even though they had a successful career, this person still didn't feel like they were coming up to the standards their parents had set. You're never quite good enough. Your report's good. All those A's are good, but what about this B? All of that sort of stuff. And we can even try and earn God's favor by thinking we've got to do everything right. Now, we may know we're saved. We may have trusted the blood of Jesus and know we're saved, but we're still trying to think that to please God, I've got to dot every I and cross every T. Otherwise, he's going to be down on me. 
And we can still try and please God in that way. I think out of this come serious consequences. I've got a slide here. This is, um, this is Mike, the headless chicken. Okay, this statue is in a place called Fruta in Colorado. And let me tell you, in a non-gory way, I did share this with members of my family, and they said, Dad, you can't say that, it's, it's too gory. So I'm going to sanitize it as best I can. But basically, Mike was a chicken prepared for the table by the farmer. Okay? And the thing was this, he didn't die. Okay, a chicken's brain, 18% of the brain is in the back of the head, and that, 80%, sorry, and that, that survived, that part of the brain. And this chicken, Mike, survived, true story, Google it, 18 months without a head. 18 months this chicken survived without a head. That is a lot of running about, not just like a ch headless chicken, but as a headless chicken. 18 months running about. That's a lot of activity and energy with no direction and no purpose. Just existing. I have a real concern that Western society lives like Mike the Headless Chicken. Loads of energy, loads of activity, loads of busyness without really knowing what it is we're after. And maybe, just maybe, in there somewhere, that describes you or me. Does it feel like we're living like a frantic, headless chicken sometimes? Now, all of those things I mentioned previously, you know, the house, the family, all of that is good stuff, but I don't believe it's to be primary motivation. Because if we chase those things, I think we're likely to end up weary stressed, insecure. And I think we have a Western society. There's one characteristic that, that characterizes Western society. I think it is we have not learned contentment. We do not know what it is to be content. As I said before, we've probably never had it so good materially, many of us, and yet we've never been as anxious. So what's going on here? Well, I just want to share as part of this message, and this is where it comes from really, having been on sabbatical recently, I think God's shown me at least something of his definition of success. And I am very keen for myself and for us as a church to reorientate around God's definition of a good life, of success in life. I wonder if you recognize these folks and what they have in common. Uh, next slide, thanks Oscar. So that's Oliver, Harry and Annie. They're all orphans. And I've come to see that myself, but I hate to say it, I think many of us display what we might call orphan traits. And it's a biblical concept, this issue. A lot of it goes back to my own uh, childhood and a kind of uh, elements of a lack of uh, affirmation and insecurities. But an orphan has a sense that somehow they're alone in the world. 
and therefore responsibility falls on them and they can become over responsible because if they don't look after things no one else will does that describe you do you have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility that if you don't look after things no one else will because who's going to look after me otherwise And out of that comes people-pleasing, trying to win affirmation. Using, for me, it's words. For me, it's words to keep people happy. You know, keep, joke people along. Just engage them. Trying to win their friendship, perhaps. But for you, it may be other things. It may be the material. It may be serving them. If I just bless people, if I serve people, if I do right by them, maybe it's blessing them materially. And trying to people, please. Comparison. Have I done enough? Have I done as much as that person? Have I come up to standard out of these insecurities? Now, it may just be me, but I don't think it is. I think many of us live with orphan traits. And I'll say why that is later. And God used John 15 as a key passage for me on this time of sabbatical and resting in him and hearing from him. And I think in this passage we have God's definition of success. And if you catch this, I think it can be tremendously freeing. Why is that? Because I believe biblically success is in our own hands. It's not determined by where we were born, what parents we had, what opportunities we've had in life. Success biblically is something within our scope. So this should be tremendously freeing for us. What does John 15 say? Let's read it. Jesus says, I'll read it. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Next slide. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So according to this passage, what is success? Well, there's an analogy here that Jesus uses of the gardener caring for the vine. And the gardener prunes, cuts the vine. And those of us, I say us, those of you who garden and uh, look after plants and stuff, well, no, you know, pruning, cutting back brings new growth. So the branches are pruned in order that they bear fruit. And it was a picture familiar to the Jews. The Old Testament spoke of Israel being a vine, and actually Israel was criticized for not bearing fruit. So Jesus uses this analogy. And he's saying there is a way to live to be fruitful. 
a way to live, to have an abundant life, to be successful. So what is it? How do we live successfully? Well, look at verses 4 and 5. Again, Oscar, can we put those up? Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. That's it. If you remain in me and I in you, you will guaranteed bear fruit. Now that word remain then, it means to abide or dwell. Eugene Peterson in the message says, make your home in me. So friends, we need to live in this place of remaining in Jesus. I was trying to think of other words. What other words might we use? To be joined to Jesus. To be absolutely our life fused with his. And there's a promise. If we'll do that, you will bear fruit. And that bearing fruit, being healthy, healthy outcomes sounds like success to me. If we will live like that. It's interesting. The word remain is what's called a stative or stative verb. It's a verb that doesn't require activity, like being, thinking, abiding. We as human beings, and particularly in the West, we go to what are called dynamic verbs to, to bear fruit. Dynamic verbs, like doing, thinking, acting, working, stressing. If Jesus told us, go and bear fruit, we'd probably go and do something. We'd make something happen, particularly in the West. And you might be a make-it-happen kind of guy or a make-it-happen kind of girl. Well, that, Jesus says, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Stop. I think that might be a word for someone this morning. Jesus says to you, here's a word for you. You want a word from the Lord? This is the Lord's word to you this morning. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Slow down. Take a chill pill. Because he tells us it's not in the dynamic verb, it's in the stative being, remaining. So success is a life wholly fused with Jesus. Success is a life wholly fused and that success is guaranteed. Where you're inextricably connected to him and like the vine, his life, his life flows through you and that will bear the fruit it's not you stressing it listen slow down parent don't try and do everything for your child don't try and go to every club mate you you at work don't don't fill every hour turn around and tell the boss look i just don't think i can do it stop trying to make it happen western society stop trying to make it happen and remain in Jesus, and you will bear fruit. Guarantee it. I guarantee it. In fact, there's sobering statements here. That success, by the way, may not look like the world's success, but it's God's definition. 
It may be more simple. It may be contentment. It may be joy. It may be wonderful relationships. It may be good marriages, loving families. It may look different to the world's criteria, but it will be God's success for you. It will be God's healthy life for you. You just need to remain. In fact, it's very, very sobering if we don't live like this. Look at what it says going on in this passage. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can't do much. Apart from me, there'll be a few things you can do apart from me, but by and large, you won't be able to. That's not what he says. He says, apart from me, you won't be able to do anything. You can do, apart from me, nothing. If it doesn't come from the life flowing out of me into you, it's nothing. If you do not remain in me, he goes on to say, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers and burns. Now, there's a bit of a theological question. Some commentators, you know, talk about that's people actually who were never saved in the first place. And therefore, that's what their life is like. I'm not sure it's that. I think, it, I think it's a life lived even by Christians outside of Christ. It's kind of 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. Oscar, if you could pop that up for us. Paul says, for no one can lay a fa- any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there's a foundation of Christ in any Christian's life. But if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And he's talking there just about, you know, the judging of our works. It's, it's not the judgment and condemnation or life in Christ. It's just God, appra- it's God's appraisal. Never mind any earthly appraisal. This is the one you've got to get right. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And he's just said some's going to be like hay, straw or stubble. Well, what happens with hay, straw or stubble in a fire? It, nothing. It it perishes. There's nothing there. But gold, precious stones come out, emerge, pure. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Let's just pause. So let me ask you as best you can before the Holy Spirit, what have you been building with? What have you been chasing? Where's it come from? Has it come from a place of remaining? In which case, it may be gold and precious stones and it will survive the fire. But if it's hay, straw or stubble, it may have looked good. People at church may have been impressed. Your family, your neighbours may have been impressed. But it'll be nothing if it's not come from a place of remaining. Folks, we need to hear this. As Western Christians, because we are so caught up, I think, with busyness and activity and making things happen. But is it out of remaining? And I'm going to help us to see how we remain. So how do we live like this in the time that I've got left? How do we remain like this? How do we do this? How do we live a life joined, connected to Jesus? Well, three things are in this passage. Firstly, verse 5, he says, remain in me. 
remain in Jesus. I love this quote by Oswald Chambers. I think he's right. Thanks, Oscar. He says, our only task as believers is to maintain a vital connection with Jesus Christ, seeing that nothing else interferes with it. Do you want to know what you need to do as a Christian? That. Connect with Jesus. Live a life connected where you're listening to him. You're hearing him. And obeying him. I do see there is activity to do, but it's obeying him. It's not your bright ideas. It's not my bright ideas. I've seen what my bright ideas do. So let me ask you a question. How is our relationship with Jesus? When was the last time you heard him say anything? If you had to prove to me, to any of us, that you are cultivating a relationship with Jesus, what evidence would you use? Guys, this is so, so important. As a pastor, if there's one thing I could do at this church, it would be for everyone to have a vital relationship with Jesus, where they hear him and they do what he tells them to. And I want that. It encourages me, actually, because I haven't got to chase the stuff. I haven't got to look good. I haven't got to impress anyone. I've just got to remain in him. I've just got to remain in him. So we remain in him. Secondly, we remain in his words. Verse 7. Sorry, I've, I've missed the quote. We'll, we'll skip that one. Thanks, Oscar. We remain in his words. Jesus says, verse 7, if my words remain in you. Now, what that means is it does mean living according to Scripture. Next slide, I think, Oscar. Thanks, mate. I'm messing you about here. He says, keep my commands and you will remain. The commands of Scripture. You will remain. If, you, if we live according to Scripture. So it's undoubtedly that. Living according to Scripture. But it's also the now word to you specifically. Sometimes these things will be called, I don't think this definition works entirely, but the Logos word, the Scripture, the truth for all times, and the Rhema word, the now word. What's God saying to you now? What's he talking to you about now? What was the last thing he said to us? Jesus lived out of this. He knew the scripture, but he also, John 5, 19 says, as we can see here, Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. Jesus was attentive. There were people Jesus didn't heal. He was attentive to what his Father said. The rhema word. So remaining does involve doing things. But it's not our stuff. It's what he tells us to do. One of our former elders, John Wardle, used to talk about folks who would pray, Lord, I'm doing such and such a thing. Would you bless it? And John used to say, the Lord probably turns around and says to them, I didn't ask you to do that in the first place. But that's how we can live our lives, isn't it? And again, particularly in the West. Lord, I'm doing this. Lord, help me with this, this job application, this course I want to do, my children doing that, whatever it is. Lord, would you bless that? And the Lord's probably looking there saying, I'm not sh I didn't want you to do it in the first place. Why are you striving for that? Thirdly, finally, Jesus says, verse 9, remain in my love. Remain in my love. At its simplest, this is about knowing the love of the Father by the Holy Spirit. 
It's the Father's love touching those parts of us that, where we display orphan traits, where we don't know the love of the Father, where we think we've got to impress, where we think we've got to people, please. It's the Holy Spirit applying the love of the Father to those parts of us, refreshing those parts so that we don't live as orphans. Romans 5.5 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I love this passage, Romans 8.15 and 16. The spirit you received does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Who are, you, who are we living in fear to? Who are we slaving for? Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba. It is that intimate word, Papa. We should know God's love so intimately that he is Papa to us. Abba, Father, dear Father, Dad. Jesus understood, you see, that living as orphans would be an issue for us. It's why in John 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Because he knew our propensity to live as orphans. So in conclusion, God does want us. He wants you. He wants me to live successfully. He wants us to prosper, and he has a way for us to do it. In fact, he is committed to our success by these criteria. I think sometimes we live too little a life. We don't know the love of the Father, and therefore perhaps we don't have the dreams we could have, the big dreams, the hopes, the positive outlook on life. He's committed. It's Jesus said, my father, the gardener, prunes that you will bear fruit. He cuts, and we know that's painful, don't we? And verse 10, Jesus says, this is to my father's glory. He wants us to glorify him by a healthy, fruitful life. We're going to come to communion now. It did occur to me, when Jesus died, how successful a life had he lived? He'd not built anything. He'd have been forgotten in history books if that would have been it. But his life was fruitful as he was raised from the dead. So communion is an opportunity, if this is spoken to you, to realign. Let's just quieten our hearts, shall we? Let me ask you some questions. Do you need to turn from some things? The Bible calls it repentance. That's all the word means. It's not a religious word necessarily. Can I ask you, have you been chasing? Have you been striving after things? Who have we been trying to please? Do you know, do you have a conviction that there's some uncommanded works in your life? 
that you're pursuing some stuff that you need to let go. Why don't you turn from those things in your heart now? Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Relinquish my grip on them. Let me let go of those things. And then let's turn to Jesus. Friend, if you're honest, does your relationship with Jesus need to be worked on? I've just tried to show, I think, scripturally, if we're living a life not hearing him, not relating to him, doing our own thing, ultimately, eternally, that is nothing. It's going to be nothing. It's going to count for nothing. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live like that. This life has been too much effort, too much pain for at the end of it all, God to say, Paul, I love you, in you come. But I have to say, all of that stuff you did, it didn't count for anything. Do you need to commit to developing your relationship with Jesus? I'm very happy. Get in touch. If you want to know, what does that mean? How can I do that? How do you hear the voice of God? I mean, I think it simply means, at the very simplest level, pray and read your Bible. And just be open to the Spirit. And then, dear, dear friend, would it help to receive the Father's love again? Has something of what I've said provoked in you a sense, actually, I think I've lived as a bit of an orphan do feel alone in the world. I feel like it's all my responsibility. I see that I'm chasing, I'm people pleasing. It's driving me into an early grave. Well, let's pray as we take communion that the Spirit will come and minister. That our Spirit, His Spirit would testify with our Spirit. I'm His child. I'm His child, Dad. Dad, I feel your love. I know I'm loved. I'm not chasing emotionalism here, by the way. I think when Jesus was baptized and heard those words spoken over him, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. I think he came out of the water knowing the father's love. So as we come to communion, Galatians 4 says this. This is one facet to God's atonement in Christ. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Friend, you don't have to live under the law anymore. You don't have to live to please and do things. Because you are his sons and daughters. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir.
going to ask Ali to come and give thanks for the bread and the wine. We're going to take communion. I suggest you just serve one another and the band, and for those of us at home, you take communion. We're going to worship with that precious song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Jesus purchased your sonship, your daughtership, your adoption. So just be open to receiving the Spirit as we take communion.